0: Say that the podcast. Hear big questions? Get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining us is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA.
1: Yes. Okay. Right. Yes.
0: Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Hello. With us all the way from Roach, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger.
2: I like that we just we're just confirming our identity in this opening segment. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> I am that person.
0: Yep, they're all holding up an edition of today's newspaper. You can't see it, but I make them do it every time. You got to have a hook, and uh, I think a good hook, an almost emergency level hook, is, gentlemen. I have I have a story. I have okay. a story of a miracle. Oh, a miracle! Oh, huh? A documented miracle,
2: whoa. like a beatifiable, canonizable miracle.
0: Are you saying St. Glenn could be in the picture? That depends on the relationship <laughs> oh. between the Vatican and the AT&T Corporation. And I don't know what that relationship is. Mm. One may own the other. Mm. It may be the other way around. I'm, I'm a little unsure on our corporate structures here. Uh, you know, with every iPhone, you get a free one of them little hats. That'd be a pretty nice <laughs> promotion. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I, on uh, Friday, uh, a few days ago, I was uh, out and about. And as uh, most of us are, I'm home most of the time, meaning data-wise with your phone, I'm on the Wi-Fi almost all the time. But I'm out running some errands, and I realize that um don't have any data. Trying to make a phone call, can't do that. Actually, part of what I was doing was, uh, Lynn and Jane's house is kind of bridge headquarters where we have a bunch of our office stuff, and our errands outside to go. Uh, swing by there and grab something, so I'm on th- their Wi-Fi, and I open up my little My AT and T app, and it informed me that my uh wireless plan has been terminated what What? Mm. now i go and check and because you know i know me they i have made regular payments we're all good nothing's in arrears a little confused about that uh so i I get on the phone with someone over there and i'm you do the thing with you know you give them the uh, here's the account number and with the thing and it says uh it's under my wife's name so they say there's a a gen on the account yep what's your relationship to her Uh, that's my wife and this poor gal in this call center gets very quiet and says, I'm sorry to have to ask this, but did, did she pass away recently? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, oh, she wow. was scrolling Instagram 15 minutes ago on the couch when I left. So you can tell by the laughing that Matt's wife is still very much, yeah, alive. very much with us. I've, I've, I've really struggled with where to put that in the story, but it is there. <laughs> so one of those, unless the combination of something tragic happened in the last 15 minutes and AT&T really has some researchers who are on their stuff. <laughs> right. This is some kind of mistake. He says, well, I'm very sorry to hear that, but that's what our records show. I'm sure it was a mistake, but you do have to go to an AT&T retail location with a photo ID and prove, uh, you know, not deadness. So we did, which I got to have my favorite um, interaction with a customer service representative in a long time we were at the door cause you know, COVID is they're only kind one of at 1% of times. So like guy opens the door like the dude, the wizard of Oz and just cracks it. And well, I can help you with the day. And I was <laughs> able to look at him very cheerfully and say, according to your system, my wife is dead. And then our phone was canceled, but here she is with her ID to prove that she is not. <laughs> wow. And bless this dude. I don't know what it's like working in, in a cell phone store in the time of Corona, but he was just like, Oh, okay. Wrote that down. And he said, okay, I see the thing on Then this. Or like, do we need to show you documentation at, it did say she was passed away. It's like, yeah, I saw that note, so I just cleared that, so we're good. Like, <laughs> I think your gifts of being of being, uh, really good under pressure, maybe being wasted at this AT and T store in Oak Park. Their friend, but here's <laughs> so the, the
2: idea that there's a that there's like a menu on his
0: iPad for a resurrection. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the point. Technically, according to the AT and T Corporation, I have been party to a resurrection whoa, whoa. <laughs> yes and i feel like the the pond is so shallow we can spin that into a christian book deal. oh, oh yeah yeah
2: it's a catastrophe matt
0: it is a catastrophe those germans have a word for everything because <laughs> you know it's like, hey this guy he he writes four books a year writes i say in heavy air quotes his interns put out four books a year but then occasionally you know there's something with a little bit of a hook and uh, you know, resurrection's pretty good.
3: May I, may I? suggest a starting place, please? Just, just the title. But I, I think this, I think this could have legs. Title's critically important, Jed. I, it's basically the whole book. Wait for it. In
0: that we don't plan to write a book, it will just be a title on a jacket.
3: <laughs> Here we go. Calling from heaven. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Calling from heaven. That's very catchy. Look, uh, people, uh, he, here's what I'm saying is, there's the book rights, which, you know, this stuff writes itself. I mean, it's going to be amazing, you know, uh, AT&T pronounced her dead. And I, I'm wondering if that's just, she wasn't on social media for a certain number of minutes, so they just assumed she was dead. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if that's how that works. How How would they know? But... Uh so they they declared her dead and, and then you know you had actual proof that she was alive. Uh I but mean they now, did check
0: for strings just to make sure I wasn't, quote, pulling a weekend at Bernie's, but she was very, very health. <laughs> <in good> <laughs> <laughs> She's got sunglasses uh, on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah, one arm around your, your shoulder and your yeah. But here now I don't know why you skipped the opportunity to fake a weekend at Bernie's just to entertain the AT T guy, you know that that would have been awesome. Just have her put on like a lot of white makeup and you know just you know you just I, wheel I her in. I can't
0: stress to you how not nonplussed and not entertained by this whole situation the AT and T guy was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but here's the thing, you know, speaking of weekend at Bernie's, we gotta we gotta talk about the movie rights to this.
0: Oh yeah, I I think we can get everybody who is in weekend at Bernie's. I think they all need the work.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, there's. Yeah, I think that's actually actually true. Y- yeah. No, I think um, it's you know because uh, what you want is uh, you know the dramatic movie about how Matt apparently brought his wife back to life.
2: Are you saying Kirk Cameron
1: will play Matt King? Oh. That's what I'm hearing you saying. That's the big one right there. I'm
0: not sure who that's insulting to more, but I think it's him.
1: <laughs> if Kirk angrier, grows Kurt. Out,
0: angrier.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> if
2: Kirk grows out his beard a little bit and all this, like, he if he's a, if he is at all a method actor, he's going to do a, have to do a lot of professional wrestling research to really
1: nail the Matt King character. That's right,
0: Kirk. Watch some Dusty Rhodes promos, Kirk. Let it seep down into your soul.
1: (laughs) I'm just not sure he can pull off the floppy hair situation. I mean, that's going to take some...
0: 1992, Kirk Cameron, sure, but not anymore.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we need a wig on him to to achieve that for sure.
0: Well, really, I think the beauty of this is the franchise, because we, how low-level a miracle can we milk a pitch out of? Hmm go on in the previous episode uh lee was mentioning you know christians really like certain types of storytelling you know and the idea of you know i was I, I this was a bad person and then they met jesus and now they're a good person is you know the the condensed biography christians also really love the i was confronted with a minor inconvenience that then solved itself or i solved through very very normal means but man god's hand was really in that
1: <laughs> yeah well, I, I maybe uh, you know the, the the main character goes to Starbucks every day and orders his double latte, half calf you know almond milk, you know with the ginseng booster, or I don't know what they do, but you know what I mean. And then uh, and then it has his name on it every day, but he goes in one day. And he gets his latte, and it says Jesus on the cup.
3: Oh, plot twist! It's a sign,
0: y'all. And then a Hispanic gentleman behind him taps him and says, "I think you have my drink, sir."
1: <laughs> That's right. Why are you always drinking my coffee? That's it's not your name. <laughs> <laughs> Did AT
2: and T give you like a like how Jenna died or anything like that?
0: No, I was hoping for more backstory. The, the other thing I can't point out to you is how, and she was doing a very nice job, the, the young lady at the call center was so, trying to take this so seriously and be gentle <laughs> and I'm afraid to have to ask this. or And I could not stop myself from laughing, which was not <laughs> the the response that she was comfortable getting. And, uh, you know, everybody was doing their best, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of casualness around it. (laughs) Here's the funny thing about that. I think we've all in this show been through, I'm sure many of our listeners have, if you've had a loved one who's passed away, who you had to like cancel their phone or particularly their like internet service or something, you often have to go two or three rounds. Like I've had to, uh, for family members, we had to take a death certificate to Comcast like three different times. Yeah, yeah. like no, I assure you, she is. She has shuffled loose this mortal coil. She no longer <laughs> needs the premium cable package. Can we right, do right, this, right. please? And they're like, mm, I don't know. So I like that this on this one time it was just a hair trigger. Just oh, we just thought maybe.
1: Well, I'm really trying to uh, off of that. I'm really trying to figure out what sort of hustle AT and T was trying to prevent you from pulling off.
0: That's the beautiful part. Uh, this was mid-billing cycle. We were paid up. They were, but it was like the first of the month. They were like, nope, boom.
1: I'm not quite sure what they thought, what sort of shenanigans they thought they were uh, <laughs> heading off at the pass here.
0: Well, now I'm thinking of the, because the, there's the book. Uh-huh. Then there's the movie of the book. But then there's the based mm. on the universe. Oh, okay. Kind of pure mm, sure. flicks Wow. Series. Where I'm talking about, somebody has a loved one passes away. It's devastating. It's awful. And their phone service is cut off, but they start getting mysterious texts one day. Mm. Encouraging texts, believing texts, all from the same number. That's yeah. right. I'm talking about
3: text by an angel.
1: There, it yeah, is. there it is. There it is. You nailed it. Wow.
3: Can I? Can I ask a few follow up questions on this? Certainly. Uh, Does the angel and or Jesus, do they use emojis? Yes. Mm. Are they heavenly emojis?
0: I think friendly emojis. I think one thing we can all agree on is that someone who in the year 2020 has a rant stored up about emojis is just a very sad little person who wants attention. And that's, that's not angelic in any way, shape, or form.
3: Sure, sure. Next question, does the angel and or Jesus use common uh, kind of acronym shortening, you know, kind of things like LOL or BRB or that kind of thing?
0: I, I, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say it okay. speaks to us in our own language. Okay. I just okay. want to
3: see the gifts that Jesus sends. Yes, yes. <laughs> sure. Well, you raise an important question because I love where this is going. Does the angel-slash-Jesus recognize the copyright problems inherent in using GIFs that are unlicensed in a form of communication? Wow.
1: Yeah, think about that. there's an
3: ethical problem. Think about that. Well, it's it's sort of like a
1: modern parable, isn't it? Sort of a a GIF meme there that's being sent. Ooh. Do you ever think about that?
3: Not till right now, but I like where this is going.
1: You know, and that's your, there's your spinoff is you got to sign up for the package to get your own parable-based GIF meme things <laughs> to send to your friends Library. and bug them, you know.
0: Sure, it's high-ins. Yeah. Well, this also brings up the, the where all these things inevitably lead, which is something uh, Jed has uh, patented over the years, which is what he calls the deranged billionaire project. Yes. The Rage mm. Project subgenre of that. Because I like the idea that we pitched to Pure flicks. It's this thing about a guy, and he gets text from the Lord as he grows on. But then they buy it, and we make 10 episodes about the uh, legal arbitration about copyrights on <laughs> mobile gifts. <laughs> and it's all just contract negotiation. But at the end of every episode, he gets a text that's like, good stuff, Jesus. <laughs> with but the look, thumbs up I, emoji, That's right? I,
1: I know we got to get it's to the wisdom, brown. but the <laughs> but the the wisdom the 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 Rage Project with with Pureflix is to go in and to have really bad suits on, go in, sit down in the offices. And, uh, you know, you pitching ideas, this guy, okay, so he's in this church and it's like a big mega church and it's super popular and everything, but the guy is preaching a lot of nonsense and, and he's kind of a jerk and, uh, you know, doesn't care about poor people and all that. And the guy says, I'm done with this and he walks away and he starts drinking and, and he just, re- he just is lost and confused. Okay, right on. Right on. And that's in that and that's the movie. <laughs> just to let just, just to force them to explain well, No, but like in the end he 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 works it out. No, no he doesn't no. because it's awful. There's bad things. That's that's the story it just and then okay I got another one you know, the this guy you know his pastor gets involved in politics and so, so he stops going to church and that's it that's the story <laughs> <laughs> just go through a bunch of
3: them you know hey Glenn I would watch all of these movies I think I'm the only person who would though so yeah.
0: and that is what makes it the perfect deranged billionaire rage project yep <laughs> Makes everyone else uncomfortable but we enjoy it and on that we will declare a communication emergency off,
2: And a very happy resurrection to Jenna. That's
0: right. Yeah. It's good to have how, a resurrected wife. How did you not
1: force her to do the Monty Python at the AT&T store where she looks at the guy and says,
0: I got better. <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't want to go on the cart. <laughs> <That's right.
1: laughs>
0: well, Glenn, I means... think if I took the time to A, try to... Uh, make my wife do anything in public but also to explain (laughs) a deep monty python bit to her it would be my marriage that needed a resurrection Uh, (laughs) (laughs) good (laughs) one day is probably all i could hope for now a miracle of its own kind is bridgebox and if you knew the mountain of technical issues that live inside jed brewer's computer you would agree that bridgebox coming out every month is nothing short of a miraculous endeavor and how Here this month, we're talking about taking things one day at a time. get songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff for yourself. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox if you want to check that out. You can also join us every single Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time over at Facebook.com slash Chicago for our live Bridgecast. If you can't catch it live, you can, of course, always catch the archived version in the videos tab over at Facebook.com slash Chicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I use some ways you can touch this yourself, or you can scroll to the bottom of your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, I constantly think I'm letting God down when I mess up. If there are things that disappoint me, I know God has an even higher standard than that. It also makes me feel sad and defeated. So I want to know how do I stop disappointing God? And a very cool question. We looked at something similar in a recent, uh, live BridgeCast. I love the honesty of it. Where would we start off?
1: Well, I maybe a good place, actually, to start off is um, who sold you on this viewpoint? Okay. Uh, because the, particularly this line, I know God has an even higher standard than the standard I put on myself, actually is not true. Uh, <laughs> God, God has, um, you, you know, God is calling us to perfection. That's the you know that's the idea now that is calling us to a process where we become more and more perfected each day. that is to say, we are on a journey towards perfection. This is a journey we will never achieve if we had a thousand lifetimes. We wouldn't really get close, but it's the idea that little bit by little bit uh we as as we move forward in that walk. We are uh, more like God and and less like our own uh, nasty little selves. But here's the thing is, when you say God has an even higher standard than that, you mean he has an even higher expectations of you than you have of yourself. And I definitely am sure that's wrong. Uh, God's expectations Mm. are based on reality. Okay, Your expectations of yourself are based on some incredibly weird fantasy world that you live in where it's like you're about an inch away from angelic perfection and holiness and, you know, I'm pretty much there. And then every now and then this thing, you know, brings me back down and reminds me I have uh, struggles and problems. Here's the thing. Your expectations are already... Almost certainly, way, way too high, and that's true for most people. Those high mm. expectations lead to these low downfalls. I think uh, I, I've asked this question at the bridge, but I would challenge you with it. Uh, look at the look at the expectations you have on your life, and ask if they aren't the cruelest thing in your life. Say that. Uh, uh, so if that's the case, recognize God's expectations are are not based on something higher than yours. Uh, he expects you to have problems. He expects you to have struggles because he knows you and he sees the struggles that you're going through. He sees uh, the the weaknesses that you have that these struggles will reveal and give you an opportunity to work on those things. Uh, I'm I'm pointing across the board to having a much more humble view of yourself. If you have a humble view of yourself, you already see these truths that I'm putting out there, that, that I expect myself to, to have downfalls and to have problems and to have struggles because I have them every day. Mm, mm. The, a humble person sees that and says, I'm not nearly almost all the way too perfect. Uh, and of course, you'd only think that if you're comparing yourself to other people. Uh, if you compare yourself to the perfection of, of God Himself, you say, "Well, I'm, you know, I, I got to be humble. I, I'm nowhere near that." So, humble people never feel the kind of shame that you're talking about here, because they they say, "You know, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm 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 a mess, and little by little I get better." But that doesn't mean I've arrived at some place where it's inconceivable that I'd make these mistakes. A final point on this is. The way uh, that you walk, the the quality of your your spiritual walk, has a lot to do with who you're walking with. Mm. Uh, it's it is much easier for me to be Christian than most people because the people on our mission field are the most awesome, encouraging, loving, sweet people. They've been through a lot. Uh, they've been forgiven of a of very uh, a very great deal, and they love a very great deal. Uh, but the way that you walk has a lot to do with who you're walking with. It doesn't have to do with you beating up on yourself and, and all that negativity. It means walking with the Lord and letting Him uh, comfort you in these times and walking with other people that can tell you how good you're doing.
0: Well, that's an excellent, excellent place to start that off. Lee, where would we go from there?
2: Man, I, I, I loved every minute of that answer, and uh, I love that piece at the end uh, one question that I would have for for you and, and it's a it's a question I would direct to myself because i've I've had these same kind of instincts before um is what would you do and i this is kind of a thought experiment so i I'm, I'm I'm really kind of begging you to go with me on this. What would you do if if Jesus Christ physically bodily showed up in your in your space in your kitchen? And said, hey, uh, just for whatever it's worth, I'm not disappointed in you. I'm not. Like, at all. Um, I don't have any expectations for you that are, um, outside of what, exactly what your life is. I'm not on a timeline that you have disrupted by moving slower than I thought you would. Um... Everything is going exactly to plan. I'm actually the God of the universe. I'm seated on a throne. I'm actually in control of all this. So I'm actually not disappointed in you in any way. Like, if Jesus himself were to show up and say that to you, um, what would happen in you? There's a really specific reason that I ask that question. And that is, the place that this question—this is a question that that looks like something that it isn't. The The question feels like, I keep disappointing God. I don't actually... I, I know that's not happening because you're not disappointing God. If we were to dig in a little deeper, what we'd find is that the real question is, I keep disappointing myself. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what's really happening here. The, the truth is, is that if you were face-to-face with Jesus, he would say, you have not... Uh, <laughs> You have not disrupted my timeline for you in any way. um I am not disappointed in you in any way. I was hanging out with my with my kid um i i Christine and I have three kids. My youngest is eleven he's about to be twelve, and we were hanging out and we were like just throwing a baseball and he and he had a couple of like you know, a couple passes, and he, he, like, dropped the ball, and he he made this face of, like, this frustrated, like, I keep dropping it. I suck. And I was like, hey, man, come over here, dude. Come here, come here, come here, come here. And the thing that I told him was, hey, I I really need you to know something. I am not doing this. Uh, this thing that we're doing right now, we're throwing a baseball back and forth and talking about our lives and just talking about what's going on and what, we, what we're what we into right now. I'm not doing this so that you improve at, baseball, at throwing and catching a baseball. <laughs> I am here because I adore being with you. I just, I love it. I love being with you right now. It feels so good outside. Uh, there's a breeze. We're throwing a baseball. I'm with my son. I adore you. I, there's no conceivable way that I could love you more than I do. I, my greatest hope for this moment that we're in is that you would relax and have some fun with me, and let's throw this baseball. If you drop one, I really don't care. And if, I, if, if you throw one that I can't catch, I also don't care about that. I'll go on Amazon right now and buy a giant bucket of baseballs. I don't care if we lose every single one and it was a really cool moment but it was also one of those moments where like my instincts as a dad that caused me to give that little speech they came back and taught me some things about the lord which is just like he's not disappointed in me i'm disappointed in myself because i thought that i needed to impress him in some way for us to be able to hang out that's not the way this relationship works he loves you he is patient The way he describes himself is gentle, slow to become angry, great in compassion. Um, The moment where we take him at his word and we start to dial back our expectations of ourselves, that is a moment that leads to joy. Um, There may be some things that we need to work on and change. I guarantee that's the case. There, there's always stuff the Lord wants us to work on. He's patient about that process. He wants to walk you through that. He wants to give you some strategies and some wisdom for all of that. But that is not the same thing as him like wringing his hands and pulling his hair out in disappointment of like who you are. And so I think that's a really big question is, what would I do if Jesus looked me in the face and said, I'm not disappointed in you. You're disappointed in yourself. And I would love for you to relax because I just love being here with you.
0: That is a beautiful thought and Amen. a really, really good place to take this. And Jed, I'd love to, to get you to close out here and circle back to something uh, Glenn started us off with, which I think is very, very important. And that's the distinction between high standards and just putting misery on yourself. Cause I think yeah. those really get conflated a lot in a way that is unhelpful.
3: I think you're absolutely right, man. I think it's important to notice that, standards and expectations are not the same thing. We we have a way of kind of using those ideas interchangeably, but they're not the same. And particularly in this context, uh, the difference is really important. So I want to tell you a story about a buddy of mine that we're going to call Joe, um, and he is one of those coolest people um, in the world that Glenn was referencing. He's a, a fellow who's a part of our Bridge program, and um, Joe has been cooking for years and years and years. That's the kind of work that he's done most of his life, and he's actually cooked. Uh, he's been very, very senior staff in very, very fancy restaurants, places that you have heard of. Um, he's, he's, he's done that full experience, and I've shared a lot of meals with Joe, and here's the wonderful thing about him, is that he fully understands the standards of fine dining and cuisine. He, he knows what would be in the tier of a Michelin restaurant, but he's not expecting it when we go to a hot dog joint. Mm. Right. And one yeah. of the things... About Joe that's really interesting is I've gone with him to places and I've said, you know, Joe, what do you what do you think about the food here? And I've had him break down for me. It always starts with, you know, it's pretty good. And then he'll break down for me the reasons why it's limited in what it is. It's not a criticism. It's not him saying he doesn't like it. He's actually it's almost like he's advocating for this kitchen. He's explaining, well, first of all, they got to make large quantities. They've got to keep it warm for a very long period of time. They're using very specific kinds of equipment. That's going to limit the options. That's going to limit the outcomes. All that together, it's actually pretty good. And I think it's such an interesting thing to have cool. an expert, which Joe is, and he knows the standards. He, he is aware of what haute cuisine is. He's aware of what fine dining is. He's, he's literally had to make that kind of stuff. But he's not expecting that out of other people. To the contrary, he's aware and maybe even more aware than they are of the limitations they're facing, of what success would look like given the situation in which they find themselves. I think one of the things that we have that may be driving part of our problems here is that we have a distorted idea of expertise. Mm. Um, uh, we we think of an expert as something closely akin to a Disney villain where they are wearing a turtleneck and literally peering down their nose at us and that that's what an expert is. It's, you know, the bad guy from Ratatouille and a great deal of the experts that I've known in my life have been remarkably understanding given how expert they are they are not expecting other people to be perfect. They're not expecting other people to have everything sorted out because they're aware of how challenging and how difficult whatever that field of endeavor is, whatever that field of study is. But I think because we have this kind of weird idea about experts, we also apply that to God. We figure that a a God who is, in a sense, expert at everything must be the ultimate unimpressible critic— He must be the Mm. ultimate hard-nosed person who can't be pleased with anything when actually literally the exact opposite is true. The more that you understand about a situation, the more you can forgive imperfections. The more that you get how hard something is, the more patient you're going to be with people who are struggling with it, with people who are new at it. I think the one other thing that we leave out of our equation, too— is just the factor of time. Just time. I get to work with a lot of people in the arts, uh, a lot of musicians, a lot of creatives, you know, whatnot. And the best players, the best performers that I work with are generally people in their 50s. The best engineers that I work with are people in their 60s, sometimes in their 70s, and that's because it takes a really long time to get good at anything. Mm -hmm. We have this weird cult of youth in our society where we believe that talent should be irrespective of age. If you're just good enough, it doesn't matter. You're just perfect from day one, and that is not how most things work. There are so many things that take a lifetime to get even competent, At. How much more would that be true for the spiritual life? I mean, if that's true for figuring out how to use a microphone, holy cow, man, trying to figure out how to walk with an invisible God, that's a heck of a thing. (laughs) Um, But we have a way of saying to ourselves, well, I should basically be like, you know, a 10th degree black belt at this, even though I've been a Christian for like a year and a half. We don't have a sense of time and, and the amount of time that's required just to grow in things earthly or spiritual. Put all that together, man, give yourself a break. God is not holding impossible expectations over your head, but you definitely are, and we don't want to see you do that to yourself.
0: That is, like, all these answers were extremely well put and great stuff. I am so glad we got to bring that to you. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, what do I do when the things I want are still a long way off? Mm. A a very, another very, very interesting question. Lee, where did we kick this off?
2: Very cool question for sure. I'm I, I I'm, I'm going to suggest something that may or may not be up your street, um, but I think it's maybe an exercise that's worth doing, and, and there may be some things that you can learn from it. It's a very uh, practical answer on this. So I, I would suggest that it may help to literally make a physical chart where you write down the goal that, that you're moving toward and everything that you can think of that has to happen for that goal to come about. Now, w- one key thing about this is you may be right about that and you may be wrong about that. I mean, you may write down some things on your list that that wouldn't actually bring about that goal or you may leave some things out. That's not exactly important. You don't have to do this perfectly. Again, uh, what we're going to do is we've got at the top of this ch- physical chart that you're writing down on a piece of paper our goal And then everything that you can just think of that would have to happen in order for that goal to be achievable. And then uh, we may leave some things out. We may get some things wrong. That's again, that's not important. Here's what's really important is step two. That was step one. Step two is this. You do some triage and you divide that list of things that lead up to that goal into things that you have control over or things that you can do, And then list number two is things that are in basically in God's hands, things that you cannot actually, you're not the deciding factor. You can't make this thing tip. Um, So again, we've got the goal, all the things that we can think of that would lead to that goal actually happening. And then we're going to divide that list into things I can do something about and things I can't do anything about. Now, even if we've left some things out or we got some things wrong, now we have a very useful thing, which is on this chart, we have divided up things that I can simply pray about and things that I can start finding a plan to actually work toward. Um, we need to start small on that, come up with some strategies, some tactics, some ideas. We might have some failures along the way. We might learn some stuff along the way. But if we can start by breaking down the list of things into things that I can't actually do anything about and things that I can impact, and actually taking some practical steps towards the things that I can do something about, and then devoting my prayer life to the things that I actually I don't have a lot of control over or I can't make that happen today or something like that. We, we have a, it's, it's a thing that, that makes the impossible seem a whole lot more visible one, and two, we're actually making some steps forward. And then three, we're involving God in the process of this goal. So maybe that's maybe that's not really your bag to like make a list, like a pros and cons list or anything like that. But I would say give it a try in this instance, especially if you feel stuck and you feel like you don't know where to go, is what's my goal? What is everything I can think of that needs to happen before I get there? And then divide, subdivide that into what are God's things and what are my things? Now I'm praying and now I'm moving forward on some of these
3: other, other parts of the deal.
0: Very, very cool and a great place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take it from there?
3: Well, I think that there is uh, love everything Lee said. I just want to build on it. So I would suggest that on a day-by-day basis, which is kind of how we have to face anything that involves a lot of waiting, uh, there is both a thing that we want to decide against and a thing that we want to decide for. So the first is we want to decide against whatever really crappy narrative the devil is trying to tempt us towards. At any season in my life, and particularly about kind of any subject in my life, there is a narrative that the devil would like for me to adopt. Um, that could be um, something really simple, like there's a, a particular group of people and just, ah, those people don't really like you. Or it could be something a little bit more involved. That initiative, that project, it's never really going to go anywhere. No one really wants to see that happen. But if you, if you think about, again, almost any area of your life, there, there is a story the devil would like you to believe about that thing or about that project, about that person, whatever it is. And some days, particularly when we are waiting and we are tired and we are uh, understandably frustrated, the temptation to get into that narrative, to, to buy into that story is really strong. But we want to decide for today, I am not doing that story. I'm not doing that cynicism, I'm not doing that despair, I'm not doing that um, darkness, I'm just, I'm not doing that. There's, There's a story that I am choosing to not believe because I know it's not from the Lord and I know it doesn't go good places. But then the thing that we want to do to the positive is we want to take the next step. No matter what we are waiting for and no matter how far away it may seem, there's always a next step that we can be taking. It, it may be the next step on a very, very long journey, but there is always a next step that we can be taking. And the more practical that that step is, the better. The more grounded in earthy reality it is, the better. And if you're not sure what that next step is, actually you're in luck. In that case, the next step is to find someone who has some degree of expertise or knowledge in that arena and go talk to them that would be the next step. But whatever you're waiting for, there is a journey between now and there. And waiting is at its best when we are actively using that time, when we are actively moving towards that goal, even if it's a long way off. And in the vast majority of cases, there are people who have walked a journey at least somewhat like that before, who – uh, even if they haven't been through an identical thing, they've been through something similar, something with some overlaps, who can help us figure out what that next step is. I think that on a day by day basis, if you find that you are saying no to whatever narrative the devil's trying to sell you on, because again, there's always one, and you are choosing to take the one next step. On whatever that journey is, um, A, you're going to be making as fast of progress as anyone could possibly hope for. B, you're going to be making as healthy of progress as anyone could possibly hope for. Uh, And C, I think you'll find that that's about as sustainable as you can make a really hard journey.
0: All excellent, excellent stuff. I love where Jed took us from there. And Glenn, where would we close this out?
1: Well, I really agree with the amazing stuff these fellows are sharing with you. Uh, I it, particularly Lee's point about preparation, because I think there's a tendency for us to think if I get this really big, amazing blessing that I really, really want, I'll be ready for that. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't need to brace myself for the onslaught of blessings. It, it'd just be like. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, yay. I have it. That's great. I'm happy now. Uh, The problem is uh, that uh, universally a blessing that you're not ready for is just a curse. That's all it is. Uh, Having opportunities that you aren't ready uh, to take hold of, you're not prepared to take hold of, means you mess up those opportunities and you have to go around again and wait for those opportunities to come up again uh and deal with the disappointment of not having been ready for that uh we've seen that happen many many times in the lives of uh, good godly people that we love uh they really really wanted something to happen but they they just did not do anything to prepare for it and uh and they you know when the when the moment came and they were being called on to to uh, rise to that occasion and make certain sacrifices uh, as part of that blessing. Uh, they just weren't able to do it. So I think it's important to recognize that that preparation is is really important. It's really key. When, when that blessing comes, you want to be in a position to just nail it, to mm-hmm. really have a great uh, response to that. Uh, it, you know, th- th- there are people say, I, you know, I I want to get this job. If I got the job, I'd be happy, and I'd have everything I want and everything I need, and you know, I could pay off all these bills, and all of that is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you get that money, you may really want to be thinking about asking God first what He wants to do with that money uh, that would come from that job. Uh, Because step one might be don't pay these bills, do this other thing, and uh, money for these bills will come and what have you. So there's a a time of testing that we go through when we don't have what we want. There's also a much more important time of testing that happens when we do get that thing that we want. Mm. So we want to be prepared for that, and now is a great time for that. Um, but let's look at this, you know, as we as we wrap it up, let's look at this in the widest possible focus in the most big picture way. Uh, you say, you know, what do I do when the things I want are still a long way off? Everything you want is a long ways off. If you had it, you wouldn't want it. So uh, this is the the nature of life. It's worth, you know, pulling up and recognizing that, that that all of the desires that you have are all in the future, and they're always going to be in the future. The more I, you know, decide I can't be happy until I have this thing, I realize the next thing that I want, and there's always more things that I want, uh, are always going to be off in the future. And if I'm just constantly, constantly waiting for those things to happen... By the time they happen, I have a whole new list of wants that haven 't happened yet, and I just move from unhappiness to unhappiness. This is not a way uh, to have a happy life and it 's not what God wants for you. Uh, the truth is yearning for a better future can really ruin today mm. uh, it's important i understand i 'm not trying to tell you have no desires i 'm not telling you you have no dreams i 'm not telling you don't you know don't want blessings to happen. Uh, Also, you don't know anybody who's worse at waiting than me, so I I don't have the right to to preach that to you, that you should just be patient and serene and just stare into the middle distance and, and think of happy things. It's important, though, to recognize that right now today you have a lot of blessings start counting those blessings, start getting into that thankfulness for what you've got today, and you're going to see all kinds of opportunities, all kind of, uh, kinds of blessings that are here for you now, and take a hold of those. And next thing you know, you'll look up and all these other blessings are already happening.
0: That is all excellent, excellent stuff. All great answers from these guys on a very cool question. We actually also have a, a special... Guest answer on this question. Jed uh, got a a segment about a very similar topic for our jail radio program. So we have a very short little segment from our friend Dorothy Russell, who is mm. a prison nice. chaplain at shots Prison in Scotland. She gave a little word uh, based on the Old Testament story of Hannah, which is very interesting. You may not be familiar with, but it's a great five minutes on this topic. Come from the amazing wisdom, stave the delightful accent. We take you now to Miss Dorothy.
5: Good morning from across the pond in Scotland. It's great to be sharing with you on this question. What do I do when the thing I want may be a long way off? In the prison where I am a chaplain, we have been thinking about a woman in the Old Testament called Hannah. You can find her story right at the start of 1 Samuel. Take some time to read it for yourself. Hannah was married to a guy called Elkannah, who also had another wife called Panina. Hannah didn't have any kids, but Panina did, and she took pleasure in rubbing Hannah's face in it. Hannah was hugely disappointed about her situation because she felt that she was not fulfilling her role in life. She got to the point where she was in utter despair because everything seemed to conspire against her. She was ridiculed by Panina. But instead of being a support and a comfort to her, became her rival. She was reproached by her husband, who seemed to show no understanding of how she was feeling. No thought of how difficult Hannah was finding life, when the things she most wanted seemed like a very long way off and almost out of her reach. And there seemed to be nothing that she could do to change her situation. Elkanah says to her, Hannah, why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Why are you always so sad? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? The answer to such questions are often not able to be explained. How can you explain frustration and disappointment? It is a deeply personal thing. It is between you and God. Then, to add insult to injury, Hannah was reprimanded by Eli, a man of God. Not even the minister or pastor understood her. He dismissed her behaviour as drunkenness. It was a tragedy. Hannah would have been perfectly entitled to scream the age-old cry, Nobody, but nobody understands me. Maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe the one thing in life that you yearn for seems like a long way off. Maybe we have something to learn from how Hannah dealt with these feelings. The thing we notice about Hannah is her devotion. Hannah was profoundly committed to God and that commitment affected her response to the disappointment and the despair that she felt. Right actions are an essential and integral part of the Christian message, but so also are the right reactions. And it is here that Hannah is our example and encouragement. She reacted with patience. She could have turned on Panina. She could have dismissed Elkanah. She could have been downright rude to Eli. All of these reactions would have been perfectly normal and in the circumstances, absolutely understandable. But Hannah doesn't react like that. Her devotion is seen in her patience, but it is also seen in her prayer. She turned to the one person she was absolutely sure understood her and would listen to her and would go on loving her and respond to her. Hannah poured out her heart to God. Then Hannah's devotion is seen in her promise. Hannah made a solemn promise to God that if he would give her a son, she would dedicate him to God for the rest of his life. In spite of everything, Hannah had not been put off God. Her patience and prayer and promise are a clear indication of her devotion. For they are almost the reverse of our ordinary human reaction to her situation. Our normal reaction is to get our own back, to retaliate, to put down the Paninas and the Elis. To the, our normal reaction would be to stop praying. We might be tempted to think, what's the point? of being devoted to God. He's done nothing for me. Why should I do anything for him? But that is not the language of devotion. That is the language of cynicism and despair. And you see, Hannah's devotion had a reward. It transformed her misery into joy. For the passage ends up with the words, And she went away, ate some food, and was no longer sad. What do I do when the thing I want may be a long way off? Follow Hannah's example. Thanks for listening.
0: We hope you enjoyed that. We are very glad to get that awesome word from Dorothy Russell of Chaplain of Shots Prison in Scotland. We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I need to be making healthier choices. Where do I start uh-huh. with that? Yes, a very timely and multifaceted question. So,
3: Jed, where would we start off with this idea? I need to be making healthier choices. Where Where do I start with that?
0: I ask a man who we just talked about
3: his collection
0: of Mountain Dew flavored <laughs> Doritos.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I would, I would suggest to you that there... Are, let's start here. I think that there are kind of two circumstances under which we, we may find ourselves operating. And, and we actually need to deal with those pretty differently. So option one is that we are dealing with an emergency situation. We are dealing with a, a crisis level situation where it's, we've got to drop everything and fix area X of life. And we need to do that right now because the building is either figuratively or perhaps literally on fire, and we've, we've got to do that right now. Um, I hope that's not what you're facing. If, if it is what you're facing, then uh, the way to do that is to find a subject matter expert, go talk to them about the specifics of your situation, and do exactly what they tell you to do. That's, that's how you should deal with that if you are in an emergency situation. If you're not in an emergency situation, then I want to look at the wording of your question, I need to be making healthier choices. Do you mean that you should be making healthier choices? Because it turns out I, – I I get the thought. I mean I, I get the, the impulse. But should is actually a terrible motivation. It actually doesn't work well. I don't mean that it's terrible morally. I mean it's terrible in terms of effectiveness. Okay. Should, should really doesn't motivate hardly anybody for for hardly anything um and actually to link it to like super duper crisis kind of stuff where we began um should for most people, will only get you about three quarters of the way through a crisis response. I mean, it's really not a very motivating impulse. If you don't have something actively on, on fire in your life, if the idea is I'll basically make myself feel bad <clears throat> and I will use that as the fuel to make a positive change in my life, I don't think that's going to work, man. You're welcome to try it, and maybe you will be different, but uh, many, many, many people before you have tried that and have found that to not work very well. So that begs the question, what else is there? And I want to suggest something that I imagine sounds fairly foreign and perhaps almost unChristian. and that is we we need to start by figuring out what you actually want, Mm. like the things you want in your life. Some of those may be big, some of them may be small, but what do you want? What do you want your life to, to look like? What, what do you want to do with yourself? What do you want – and in all areas, what do you want your relational life to look like? What do you want your work life to look like? What do you want your hobbies to look like? Because if we've got things that we actually want, then we can work backwards to a strategy to make those things possible. Um, we can figure out what the practical steps would look like in order to um, live into some of those desires and dreams and hopes. And that's great. And and I think that you will find that starting from a place of here are things I actively want and I actively care about and then building a practical strategy to achieve them is so much more sustainable than, well, I should do X and I shouldn't do Y, so I should probably make some changes, like night and day. But I think there's two more things that we want to touch on before I I kick it to these other fellas. The first is most Christians are really super bad at being in touch with their own wants and desires. Mm, I mean, yeah, really yeah, super bad. Um, and so if you, if you want to see changes happen in your life, we may want to start by just working on figuring out how to articulate to ourselves and to others and ultimately to God just things that we like things that we care about, things that we want, in as judgment-free of an environment as we can possibly manage. Because, man, if you grew up around evangelical Christianity, you've been told that everything you want is bad, and you're bad to want it. Um, And it's probably going to take some some work and some digging to get to a place where that's not the only thing on the screen. Um, But the other side of this equation is recognizing that God is not opposed to all of your desires, um, uh, for most people who are listening to this podcast, that has been communicated to you that basically every desire you have is wrong and God resents you for having it. And the sooner that you could recognize you're a naughty little monkey who only wants bad things, the better off we'll all be, man, that's not true. It's not biblical. And critically, I can't emphasize this enough. It's not functional. No one can actually live a life that way. Um, that's, that's just not a sustainable thing. God loves you. He wants you to have good things in your life. He wants you to have a life that you feel good about. Jesus literally said, I want you to have life to the full. That is why I came. So I think we want to work on developing a relationship with the Lord where we can tell him about our wants and desires without a sense of shame or a sense of fear. And we can invite him rather than to come in and tell us all the ways we are wrong To come in and give us wisdom about how to shape those desires, about how to direct those desires, about how to mold them into something that would be achievable and also good and right and pleasing to Him, where this could be a partnership where we are working towards common goals as opposed to an antagonistic thing where God resents our happiness and we're not, we're trying constantly to not ask too much.
0: Having grown up in the South, I think I've probably driven by churches that had the message: "Everything you want is bad, and you're bad to want it." On the little thing out front, yeah, and you know, every 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 your whole desire is evil in front of God. Also, bingo, Wednesdays at 7. <laughs> but uh, I, I think
2: I, I love the little thing out front. That's just yeah. a. That's just a thing. No, we we don't use the word marquee anymore. It's just. The little thing out front.
0: Yeah, a little hey. guy out front with the judgment on it. Um, so it's either puns or judgment. Welcome to the Mid-South. Uh, Glenn, I think Jed really got all over that aspect of not shooting yourself, as we would say, and wanting, if you think about things in a positive light. Another possible interpretation of the, the, the statement, I need to make healthier choices, is I need to stop doing certain things that I know are bad for me. There's right. nothing wrong with that, but I think there's a very similar thought process uh, to what Jed was saying in the sense of we may need to change the way we conceive of how we get to these actions. Right? Absolutely
1: right. I yeah. I it's, if you look at your life and you're disappointed with it, and you you say you know I'm not making healthy choices, uh, you are trying to take that one thing in isolation away from all the other factors that are driving that. And that's going to be very tough to get any kind of wisdom out of that. So here's what I would suggest to you is let's do away with the language and the idea and the the thinking of I am making bad choices or unhealthy choices and start looking at I am living in bad cycles. Uh, There are cycles that I get into uh, where I—yes, I, I yes, it begins with a choice, but that choice then leads to certain negative consequences. Those negative consequences get me into an emotional state. That emotional state gets me to a place where I make another unhealthy choice, and it goes around and around. So it's a, it's a cycle. Uh, if we start looking at it that way, uh, what we start to realize is— um, We're getting into a lot of negativity, a lot of pain, a lot of uh, drama around those cycles. And those things keep us from making progress on changing those cycles, which are are tough enough as they are. So I think the three big uh, tools that the enemy uses to mess with us and keep us in bad cycles is fear, shame, and guilt. We're we're always looking at those. Those are our, our main culprits. Uh, But I think um, certain cycles, you can put anger, frustration in there as well.
5: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think, um, you know, just uh, the weird thing about anger and frustration is it can be kind of free-floating and it can be based on totally legit stuff. But so you say, well, it's legit that I should be angry. It's, It's fair. It's reasonable for me to be angry about this. But then... That leads to, uh, you know, frustration, and that leads to making a bad choice. I'm so angry. That's a cycle, and I say, okay, the anger needs to come out of it. If the anger wasn't there, the the cycle wouldn't work. So ultimately, when we're talking about cycles, we we need to look at managing triggers. Uh, so what is it that sets you off? So if it's anger, don't read the news because you're going to be angry if you look at the news. Yeah, okay. The, the the news at this point is just here's some things to be angry about. And so if you don't want to be angry, you, you kind of can't do that. Um, uh, but th- there's lots of triggers. That may be toxic relationships that need to come to an end or be severely uh, uh, fied. you know, boundaries put on it. Uh, It might be uh, a change in workplace, those kinds of things. But uh, it can be as small as I need to not go to that store where they sell the stuff that I need to not drink because I'm an alcoholic and so on and so forth. So knowing those triggers and managing them is really important. The Lord can help give you insight into that, and I'd encourage that. Uh, But then off of that, you need support to make all that work. And so that is going to the Lord and getting... Wisdom and insight and getting, getting comfort. We've talked about that recently here on the podcast of letting the Lord uh, come to you and say, I'm not here judging you. I'm not uh, looking down on you, uh, as we were looking at in that first question. Uh, that's going to help us a great deal. The problem that I have uh, the most when I do counseling is someone will call me up and say, Okay, so we've had problems in our marriage for like 10 years. I mean, this is this is a daily thing, you know. We've had problems in our marriage for ten years, and uh, you know, we've we've come to a place where uh, she hates me. I'm cheating on her. Uh, she threw all my clothes on the front lawn. My children aren't speaking to me. So I'm just wondering, do you have any advice on that? <laughs> and it's like, dude is this the moment that did you think that you know i up till now you had it under control and this is the point where you need a little bit of help uh get help early that's mm. a big key when the when the plane has already crashed into the mountain it's not a good time to begin seeking help it, it you know it you seek it whenever you find the humility to do it by all means but recognize Uh, that you need help even when it feels like you're doing pretty good.
0: That's an excellent point. A lot of Glenn's uh, counseling uh, advice starts out with, first, you're going to need to get a DeLorean. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Exactly right. Always good advice. And, Lee, I love what these guys have have laid down on this. And I I think uh, if we could close it out with looking at the practical, because these guys really kind of found a way in a really sharp way, to tie this into some things we talk about a lot when it comes to help better decision-making. We talk about a lot in limiting, you know, things you don't want to do, but a lot of those same techniques do spin into making better, more positive choices. Right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, as, as I listen to the, the wisdom and the advice that these guys have given, it's just a lot of really, really helpful um, kind of dives into motivation into uh, the the kinds of tricks that the enemy wants to pull. This is all fantastic stuff I mean th- all I have to offer is just a just a really like like you were saying Matt just a, just a, a quick practical thought as as we kind of button this up um, but it, it's it's to me it 's been a helpful thought in, in things that i 've wanted to change about myself and that is um, just the practical thought of moving the point of decision to a different time. Um if I if I notice a thing in my life that is a behavior that I want to change, um, I've and and I've had a, a hard time just kind of saying no to it or or changing the impact of this this thing on my day. Um let, let's let's take an example that's just you know just kind of a a real kind of pedestrian example, like, like food. Um, I, I want to change the way that I eat or something like that. Or I want to change my, um, you know, my, uh, how much sleep I'm getting or something like that. One of the things that can help on, uh, when you find yourself in a pattern that you're, that you're not loving is just to change the, the, the moment that the decision happens. To the time when you feel strong about making that decision. So, um, with food, like pre-planning and 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 packing meals ahead of time for like your breakfast or your lunch or 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 whatever it is for the next day or for the next week, that can be a thing that really helps you change the way that you eat, um, rather than. Uh, you you don't think about that stuff at all, and you make the decision of what you're going to eat at the exact moment when you're most hungry during the day, right before lunch. It's like, well, where am I going to go? I'm probably going to go for the 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 place that's the absolute worst for me if I'm making that decision at that point. So what we're talking about is just shifting the moment of decision to a point where we have some resolve. Um, so, uh, you know, that that kind of thing of like, planning workouts and setting a schedule around that time or, you know, show watching or anything else, developing a routine when you're, when you're kind of changing the timeline of the decision-making to a point where you're in a good headspace to make a healthy choice and remove this decision point from the point of like hunger or consumption. Because those are the things, in my experience, those are the times when I'm not really good at making that decision And so if there's a way for me to change the timeline of the point of decision-making – To a point where I'm in a good headspace to make a healthy choice, and then I can go ahead and make that decision then, and then I, you know, I kind of live out that decision later on in the moment of consumption or whatever. Again, these guys have already done a really deep dive on motivations of the spiritual side of this, of the spiritual warfare side of this, all that kind of stuff. It's just a real practical idea of like, what are the 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 points of my behavior? Where is the decision point? Is there any way I can shift the timeline? so that that I can make that decision in a healthier headspace.
0: All excellent, excellent stuff from these guys on a very, very nuanced, but very, very interesting topic. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com if you want to keep that anonymous. You can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time over at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago for our live BridgeCast, and catch every episode of that along with some other fun videos archived at the videos tab over at that same Facebook page. We're going to take out the song this week. It's been a little while since we've had a Lee Younger track take us out. This is called Jesus is on the Main Line. Very cool track that Lee put together for us. Yeah, that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that.
1: Productions and PureFlix presents coming to a laptop near you this Christmas. I'm out of here. A tale of a man tired of his church, only focusing on itself, and then he leaves, and that's it. That's a whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Call him up and
4: tell him what. So This line has never been We'll i is on that main line. Just tell him what you want. I said Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. Call him up and tell him what.